Coming up on this week's show, Brandlin has got some audiobook recommendations, plus we recap our New York theater trip. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome to episode 143 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And I'm Will from willknauss.com. This week's episode is brought to you in part by listeners just like you. We will have more information on how you can help support this show in just a few moments. Um, welcome, everyone. Uh, I hope you had a fantastic June, a wonderful Pride Month. I hope you had lots of fun and that you read lots of great books. Um... I did not. My reading fell off in, well, for various reasons, I didn't get a lot read during the month of June, but that usually happens during the summer months for me personally. Uh, but enough about me. Hi. Hello. <laughs> a lot is, a lot has gone on since we have talked to our listeners. That's right. Because uh, we, we bonus recorded two weeks ago now because we were away for our theater trip, which was awesome. And we will be talking about a little bit later on. Uh, somehow I actually managed to write during vacation, which was pretty amazing. I think I wrote three of the days that we were gone. And uh, yesterday actually had my biggest writing day ever with like 6,400 words. It was crazy. Um, I love dictation. It makes so many things possible. And uh, you started a class. I did. Which is very cool. You could tell us about that maybe a little later after you've completed it. Um, possibly. I'll goad him into talking about the class later, because it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, so this week, well, actually over the, over the weekend, actually, uh, Coastal Magic uh, revealed its featured author lists for 2019. As you know, we are a featured, quote-unquote, blogger for Coastal Magic, and we're looking forward to uh, unveiling all kinds of fun stuff over the coming months. Uh, but in terms of the featured authors that got revealed, there are so many... Uh, gay romance favorites here. We've got uh, Brew Baker, Morgan Bryce, Charlie Cochet, Poppy Dennison, Hank Edwards, Kiernan Kelly, Amy Lay, Lucy Lennox, uh, Z.A. Maxfield, Terry Michaels, Victoria Sue, and Damon Swade. That's a good lineup. Now, registration opened up on the 1st of July, and since Coastal Magic is kind of a smallish... Um, uh, Very casual, I yeah, would say. Yeah, the, the attendee cap is around 300, so you might want to register sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Now, this takes place in Daytona Beach, February 28th through March 3rd of 2019. Uh, Mardi Gras also happens to be uh, starting up that same weekend, so apparently there's going to be a lot of purple, gold, and green around, uh, including a Mardi Gras-themed welcome mingle on Thursday. Uh, there will be ult multiple chances to meet and greet your favorite authors. Uh, Damon Swade will have his 2019 edition of Cinema Craptastique, and you really haven't had some fun until you've watched him uh, critique a uh, crazy bad film. Uh, there's lunch with an author, there's a book sale and signing, and lots of panel discussions. So it's going to be a pretty fabulous weekend. Next week, Jennifer Morris, she is the mastermind behind Coastal Magic. She'll be here to talk to us more about next year's convention. Absolutely. And we got links in the show notes to the author reveal, the registration page, and the general uh, Coastal Magic page at coastalmagicconvention.com. In the hockey player's heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knaus, hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. 
he never expects to run into his one-time crush at a grade school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the schoolteacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the hockey player's heart in ebook, paperback, or as an audiobook performed by me, Vince Sterling, wherever you buy books. So last week we headed to New York for our annual theater trip slash seeing a bunch of theater for my birthday slash being in New York for Pride. Uh, it was a good trip this year. We picked some good stuff, I think. This year's theatrical excursion uh, ended up having a theme. Uh, we didn't do it on purpose, but this is how <laughs> it actually worked out. This year's theme was gay slash revival, with the sub-themes being nudity and one-act plays. Oh, I didn't know we had a sub-theme, but yes, you're, you're kind of right about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Quickly, um, let's see. We saw Matt Bomer's butt. Yes. Uh, we saw all of Lee Pace. And uh, the three terrific actors, uh, we saw all they had to offer uh, in the play Afterglow. Mm-hmm. And that we, we did. Shall we start with the first play we watched uh, yes. when we arrived in New York City? We uh, did the entire day on Wednesday seeing the eight-hour epic that <clears throat> is Angels in America. Now, for those of you who uh, don't know or have been living under the rock under a rock for like twenty five years, um, "Angels in America" is by Tony Kushner, and it is an epic play that follows uh, a cast of characters uh, who are living in New York during the height of the AIDS crisis, and um, it's. <clears throat> While Jeff is right, it is uh, incredibly long if you choose to see the entire cycle. Um, the play is rather uh, intimate, mm-hmm. is how I would describe it, because it's um, it goes into such personal detail about what these various characters are going through and experiencing. Um, the play is... The well, the cycle is essentially split into two different plays. There's uh, Millennium Approaches and then Perestroika. Uh, we went on a Wednesday, which means we saw the first play for the matinee and then the second play in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you uh, who have uh, don't know it very well or have never seen a production of Angels in America, uh, there was the HBO miniseries. Uh, from uh, probably almost 10 years ago now. Yeah, Um, maybe 15 even now. The HBO miniseries uh, very closely sticks to the source material. Um, So if you watched uh, the HBO miniseries, then you have a pretty good idea of what Angels in America is all about. Now, that being said, uh, sitting on your butt for eight hours wasn't a hardship because the play is that good and that in, that engrossing. Um, this particular uh, revival, this Broadway revival, uh, was wonderfully cast. Um, really quickly, there was a off-Broadway revival 
how long ago was that now? It was in 2010. In 2010, Jeff and I went and saw that one as well. Uh, that was an excellent revival, and I thought this particular Broadway revival was excellent as well. Mm-hmm. I think what it proves is that um, the material is exceptional, and that there are many different ways to interpret it. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that. And I think as people interpret it in different time frames, it 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 changes a little bit. Like I felt differently seeing it this time than I did in 2010 uh, because our times have changed so much in the intervening eight years uh, in terms of the political landscape, uh, the equality landscape. It's all it's different now. And so I, I uh, relate to the play slightly differently, and I think that feeds into the direction of the actors as well. Would you agree with that? I would agree. With that. You would agree with that. I, mm-hmm. uh, I thought the whole thing was exceptional. Um, Andrew Garfield and Nathan Lynn both won Tonys for this. Um, it was a whole different look at Andrew Garfield. Uh, you've never seen him portray anything like this, uh, as he played prior Walter, who discovers early in the play that he has uh, become infected and is and has AIDS. And he goes through this sickness and he is told by this angel that he's a prophet. Um, everything that he goes through is just amazing and he played it so well. And Nathan Lane is uh, Roy Cohn, who of course was a very uh, evil character in our nation's history. Uh, it was a revelation for Nathan Lane. Um, he mentioned it in his Tony speech that he really felt that he'd evolved as an actor, and I would agree with that 100%. Uh, that his, He's not just Nathan Lane on stage in this role. Uh, but I was, I was blown away by this production, and the whole way they do the angel and move the angel across the stage in this combination of, of puppetry and actor and a whole bunch of people working together and some choreography was... It was just epic. I, if I lived in New York, I'd probably go ahead and try to go see this again uh, because this closes uh, July 15th. Moving on. Next up, we saw a ton of amazing actors in The Boys in the Band. Now, this past month in our Patreon bonus episode, Jeff and I took a look at the movie version of Boys in the Band, and we also talked about the documentary concerning Boys in the Band called Making the Boys. Uh, and I sort of shared my thoughts about the play and the movie uh, and sort of everything that went into making both of them. Uh, I've never actually seen a production of Boys in the Band on stage, so this was a whole lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Real quickly to sum up what the boys in the band is all about, um, uh, the character Michael uh, has a super cute uh, little apartment in New York City, and he is throwing a birthday party for his friend Harold, uh, and all of their friends sort of assemble for one uh, interesting, revelatory <laughs> evening. Uh, that takes uh, an interesting turn halfway through. Um, it's uh, this play. I I enjoy the play. Uh, the play has a. Uh, I think unpersonally, I think it's an. Uh, a lot of people have very strong feelings for boys in the band, pro and against. Uh, I, we talked about that a little bit in our bonus episode as well. Um, I think. Um, some of the hate that the play has received uh, over the decades is undeserved. 
Um, real quickly, the history of Boys in the Band is, is that it was the very first play that uh, took an open and honest look at the lives of gay men. And that first appeared uh, off-Broadway in 1968, the year before Stonewall. And the play was a total smash hit. And uh, a year later, of course, the Stonewall riots happened. Uh, and then public sentiment sort of took a sharp turn against the play because uh, I think the popular opinion was that the play was immediately dated now and it wasn't a, a shiny, happy example of uh, what gay life uh, should be. It wasn't proper anymore. Um, when it first premiered, it was all about representation and everyone celebrated that. Uh, after Stonewall, uh, it was uh, looked down on as if the uh, characters, um, as if we should be ashamed of what the characters in the play experience. Uh, I don't feel that way at all. And I think this particular production uh, shows us once again why this play was so very important. It also marks uh, the very first time that the play has appeared on Broadway, and it also marks the very first time that the entire cast is populated by out gay performers. Uh, so it's pretty remarkable. I enjoyed this particular production very, very much. Uh, it is headlined by Jim Parsons, uh, Zachary Quinto, and Matt Bomer, who we spoke about previous, previously. Yes, getting to see his butt. Um, <laughs> so what did you think of Boys in the Band? I liked it. As with you, it was the first time that I had seen it live on stage. Uh, this is a... A transformed version of the show. It is only one act, and it used to be two. Uh, it was revised to put it on Broadway. So this met our gay and our one act criteria and nudity criteria uh, <laughs> for the uh, for our for our trip. Um, I I think in some ways the, the elements of this play could still happen today, uh, depending on the circle and of people that you know and where you might live in this country. Uh, from a straight-up performance production standpoint, I thought Zachary Quinto was a revolution. Was just a revelation in this show. Um, he is not what you think of Zachary Quinto at all. This is a, a 180 degrees from any role I've seen him play. Uh, he was biting. He was funny. He he just infused his character with such a. I don't. I don't even have the the adjective for it. I I was very impressed with him and, and the rest of the cast too, but him in particular stuck out for me here. Mm -hmm. I think what was interesting when when, we, when I first heard of the casting of this particular production, uh, when it was announced that uh, Jim Parsons was going to be playing the lead role of Michael, um, I was a little. Um, I, 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 tried, I tried to go into it with an open mind. I don't think Jim Parsons, who is sort of the, um, essentially the embodiment of the uh, everyday nice guy. Um, incidentally, Jim actually did a Broadway production a couple of seasons ago of Harvey, mm -hmm. uh, which the uh, movie version starred Jimmy Stewart who was the absolute epitome of the everyday nice guy. That was, you know, who he was. So having um, nice guy Jim Parsons portray Michael, who is uh, 
very acerbic, uh, kind of bitchy. Um, halfway through the play, the, the drama that ensues uh, depends upon Michael being a very mean drunk, um, which I think uh, Jim Parsons was able to pull off to a certain extent. I think it's a sort of a, the softer side of this particular character. <laughs> I think what Jim actually dialed into really, really well is we now finally understand why these this particular group of men are friends. Mm. I think that there's... Um, even though none of the dialogue has changed uh, and Michael is still very bitchy, I think there is sort of a, a, an underlying softness and understanding to his performance. Uh, the only problem is, is at the very end of the play, after all of the drama has uh, ensued and all of his friends has, have left for the evening, um, Michael kind of turns to his friend Donald and has a really catastrophic breakdown when he realizes uh, what he did. In this particular production, um, it's more like Michael has a mild panic attack. <laughs> so I don't think the weight of the ending is quite the same, but I still highly recommend the show. Uh, Boys in the Band is going to be closing on August 11th. Yes, because people... Jim has to go back to Big Bang Theory. Basically. <laughs> yeah. So, after Boys in the Band, we went to see an off-off-Broadway play called Afterglow. Now, Afterglow was... Let me let me uh, look through my little... Uh, here we go. Looking through my playbill. It was written and directed by a guy named S. Asher Gelman. And it is uh, essentially a three-character play. And uh, it's about uh, an established couple who have uh, essentially an open relationship and they have a menage with this uh, charismatic younger guy and as their uh, friendship and relationship continues that friendship sort of evolves into something more in the play uh, it's a one-act play uh, over 90 minutes it sort of explores when uh, sort of a menage uh, situation uh, kind of evolves and morphs into uh, polyamory and what that means for the three men in this particular uh, triad, what that means to them and their relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, I really enjoyed this play an awful, awful lot. Um, it's in a teeny tiny little off-off Broadway space. Uh, the set and sound design is quite exceptional. Mm -hmm. uh, I really enjoy the three actors uh, an awful, awful lot. Um, and I think it was a pretty terrific little play. What it was, uh, I liked it a whole lot more than I expected. Um, this play's been running for over a year now. It keeps uh, extending its run. Uh, and it's uh, proven to be very, very popular with audiences. I think the the... Pro salacious promise of nudity is what pulls people <laughs> in but it's actually the play itself and the performers who are excellent is what keeps them coming back it's a really great show yeah it's uh, I, I settled on the description of sexy and thought-provoking mm -hmm. because it is ridiculously sexy but there's a lot to think about too as the play kind of unfolds and as these relationships both blossom and fracture 
uh, along this 90-minute course. Um, Afterglow, theoretically, is in its final extension. They have said August 12th is the end of the line. Uh, but they've said that before, so we'll see if it actually closes <laughs> it or not, because it has been quite the off-off-Broadway uh, phenomenon. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, Tony-winning revival of Once on This Island. Now, did you think this was going to win the Tony for revival? No. Me neither. And here's why. Um, <laughs> despite the uh, tremendous acclaim that it received when it opened, I believe, in December or November, um, it had had some space. And both Carousel and My Fair Lady opened late in the season to huge acclaim and box office. Um, and I think it caught a lot of other predict- like professional predictors off off guard too because most of them were like who's going to win carousel or my fair lady exactly and then once on this island came up and and took it and having seen it i i totally get it (laughs) i totally see why yes it won for very good reason Uh, i kind of understood it when we saw it on the tonys Uh itself and the production number that they did there but then to go it was amazing this is a show that i actually saw Mm -hmm. in its original production because i'm that old now i can see originals and revivals now (laughs) uh back in the uh early 90s and it's a wonderful show it's always been magical but there's something that was transformed here um that really just it became more than the sum of the parts that it used to be. Really quickly, Once on This Island is a one-act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's a one-act musical, and it essentially is the sort of bittersweet love story about uh, an orphan girl who lives on this um, fictional island. It's sort of... The play sort of takes place uh, on an island that's sort of uh, in the Caribbean... Uh, there are some like Haitian influences to the story. Um, so it's sort of set in this like never, never land. Uh, and it, the story concerns, uh, Timoon and how, uh, how she grows up and how she falls in love with someone from, uh, essentially the right side of the tracks and what their class differences are. Uh, mean to their relationship. Um, also, there are some island gods that f- uh, figure prominently into the story, uh, and it sort of addresses what what is free will and what is um, essentially fate. fate. Yeah. Um, which, <laughs> which when I say it like that, it sounds really heavy and boring and depressing. It is. It is not. It is wonderful and light and fun and dramatic uh i think this i've personally never seen a production of once on this island i thought this was uh number one perfectly cast everyone was exceptional um and uh it was um wonderfully staged um it was at circle and square theater and for those of you who've never been there in new york uh it's essentially um the the stage setup is uh very flexible uh, you can do a standard proscenium production, or you can kind of uh, do a show uh, theater in the round style. And that's how 
um, this particular production of Once on this Island chose to do it. So essentially the floor of the, the theater space is covered in sand and the audience surrounds them so that um, we're sort of an integral part of the theatrical experience. Yeah, those, those first row people, their feet are in the sand. Yeah. <laughs> They're sitting on the island, <laughs> which was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was absolutely blown away by this. Um, Alex Newell, who folks might know from Glee, uh, he played Unique in probably, I think it was the last two seasons of Glee. Uh, to me, she steals the show completely. Uh, her take on Mama... Mama Will Provide is stunning and rousing and just everything. Uh, we should note, too, that this play is kind of a story in a story mm-hmm. as well, because these island inhabitants end up and tell the story of Timun to a young child to distract her from a storm that's happening on the island. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leah Salonga, who finished her run in the show uh, the very weekend, well, the weekend after we saw it, um, was delightful and got to sing the signature song of uh, Human Heart. Um, I I will say that I think I could watch anything that Michael Arden chooses to direct. Uh, Because this show was amazing and his previous revival a few seasons ago of Spring Awakening also took that show, which I'd seen the original of, and totally made it into something that was more powerful than the original. So kudos to him. Please do more. Um, this show is uh, on an open run. So if you're headed to New York, uh, do check that out. Okay. The next show that we saw was a little play called A Letter to Harvey Milk. Um, this was something that was like sort of on my radar and I was kind of curious about. And why we were there, we decided, hey, let's check it out. Um, Letter to Harvey Milk is a one-act play, and it essentially um, is about a guy named Harry. He is a retired kosher butcher, uh, and he's kind of lonely and alone. So in order to um, take up some of the time in his day, he goes to the Jewish community center. And one day he happens to walk in the room where Barbara is holding uh, essentially a writing class. Uh, A sparsely attended writing class. (laughs) Harry ends up being her only student. And so together they sort of uh, explore different ideas. Uh, the two of them are from two different generations. Uh, and during a writing assignment, uh, Harry writes a letter to Harvey Milk, uh, someone he once knew. And Barbara is sort of gobsmacked. It's like, oh my God, you knew Harvey? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> uh, while, while Harry sort of sees Harvey as just a uh, a nice guy from the neighborhood, Barbara sees him as sort of the godlike pioneer of the gay rights movement that he was. Um, so it's about their two different perspectives. Uh, Harvey also uh, spends his time talking to his dead wife, Harry. Harry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Harry, Harry. Harry uh, talks to his dead wife uh, quite a lot during the play. Uh, it's quite funny. Uh, uh, his wife Franny uh, often uh, <laughs> chimes in with her opinions about what's going on in, in his life um, and uh, eventually Barbara uh, comes out to Harry 
Uh, and Harry doesn't take it particularly well. Uh, and as we learn in the play, that's for very good reason. Um, I really enjoyed this. I've been calling it a play, but it's actually a one-act musical. Mm-hmm. Uh, a really terrific little musical, uh, as a matter of fact. I enjoyed it. and I didn't know what to expect going in, and I was pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed it an awful, yeah. awful lot. The, the revelations at the end of the show uh, were amazing. Uh, how everything ended up tying together. Uh, the music was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the acting was really good. This was playing off Broadway. It was actually the a winner or a finalist in one of the New York New Musical festivals, which is kind of how it got on to its uh, off Broadway run. It actually closed on June thirtieth, completing its run. Uh, but I can imagine this getting, because it's a small one act, uh, that it can get staged uh, around the country, hopefully, mm-hmm. um, as it gets kind of put out there into its licensing phase. So, it was, yeah, it was really enjoyable, and I'm glad we took the took the leap to go see it. Yeah. And last but not least, we finished out our fabulous whirlwind New York theater trip with the revival of Carousel. Now, really quickly... Um, for those of you who don't know much about Carousel, it is sort of the, I was actually going to say it's the redheaded stepchild of <laughs> the Rodgers and Hammerstein, uh, catalog. Uh, I, d- I don't actually think that poorly of it at all. But, I mean, when you say Rodgers and Hammerstein, you usually think of, you know, Sound of Music or South Pacific. Oklahoma. Or Oklahoma. Those are sort of the tent poles of their creative work. Um, Carousel is, uh, a unique little show. Uh, it's kind of weird. Um, Mm -hmm. let me, let me try and describe it. Um, it takes place essentially at the turn of the century and it concerns our main character, Billy Bigelow and his romantic interest, uh, Julie Jordan, uh, which frankly, those two names get my vote for the best, most alliterative theater names ever. I love them so much. Anyway, uh, Billy Bigelow is essentially a carnival barker uh, for this carousel. And uh, Julie Jordan is sort of the naive, sweet young thing that he ends up falling for uh, and then marrying. And the play is sort of about their tumultuous relationship. Where most standard musicals would probably be about the journey journey towards like getting married in the happily ever after. Um uh Julie and Billy meet uh first thing uh and they get married first thing. And this is about their complicated marriage uh that happens afterwards. Um Rogers and Hammerstein were actually very fond of tackling difficult subject matters in their plays. Uh, Let's see. Um, While Sound of Music is, of course, considered the ultimate family musical, let's not forget they're trying to fight the Nazis. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And in this particular show, in Carousel, um, it actually tackles the the, uh, problem of domestic abuse, uh, Billy is a complicated, angry guy, uh, and he takes it out on other people, uh, and he actually hits his wife. Uh, it happens off stage. Um, it's only briefly uh, referred to. I think uh, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein were kind of um, 
not tiptoeing. I think they were very carefully um, addressing the issue uh, because, um, <laughs> yeah, because a hero who's beating up his wife is not very heroic. Yeah. Anyway, so as I said, Billy's a very complicated character, uh, and at one point he learns that Julie is pregnant. Uh, so he realizes he's got to get his act together to support his wife and his uh, unborn child. So what does he decide to do? Um, <laughs> he decides to uh, rob someone to get some money to help support his family. Uh, the robbery goes wrong, and Billy ends up dying. Yeah, I told you, Carousel is very unique. So, Billy essentially goes to heaven, but they won't let him into the pearly gates until he proves himself to be a better person than the man he was on Earth. Um, he gets one chance to go back um, and try and do good. So, Billy returns to Earth, uh, essentially 17 years later, uh, to see his daughter all grown up. Um this is the part of the show where we get the uh, beautifully orchestrated a Rodgers and Hammerstein ballet, a la what happened in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. But where Oklahoma was sort of a very... Where the ballet in the second act of Oklahoma is sort of a loose interpretation of what the, the story elements that are going on uh, in that show. Um, what's nice about Carousel is that the ballet in the second act is really genuinely part of the story. Uh, Billy sort of watches his teenage daughter uh, experience um, different problems, uh, mainly being that her, her father was, you know, a no good, you know, thief. And, and she's trying to deal with, you know, having a single mom, that kind of stuff. So... Um, he doesn't do a particularly good job <laughs> of imparting any wisdom to his daughter. Uh, uh, but he goes to uh, his daughter's high school graduation where he is finally able to speak through uh, a parson who's essentially giving the uh, graduation speech. And Billy sort of uh, is able to impart what little wisdom he has to... Uh, his daughter, so that she'll have a better life than him. End of play. Yeah. Carousel is really unique. <laughs> um, despite its unique plot, uh, it is, uh, of course, uh, exceptional Rodgers and Hammerstein music that we get to experience throughout the evening. Uh, the, the, this particular revival is exceptionally well cast. Uh, we've got uh, uh yeah jesse mueller jesse mueller plays julie jordan she is gorgeous and wonderful and uh joshua henry is billy bigelow uh also um lindsey mendez she won a tony award uh she, she plays julie's best friend carrie uh so uh, this was um I've never really taken to Carousel particularly, although there are some very famous songs that come from this show. Uh, there's the movie version, uh, which I've never really quite connected with. Uh, but seeing it, you know, live and on stage with the exceptional choreography by mm. Justin Peck. Yes. Um, it really came to life and it's like, oh, I get it. <laughs> Carousel is actually really good. <laughs> yeah. And we, we can't ignore in the cast either Renee Fleming. Uh, of course. The famous uh, 
met opera soprano who was here and got the signature the signature song of the show you'll never walk alone mm-hmm. uh to quite stunning effect uh yeah the plot of this show was like what <laughs> it's like i don't understand quite what i'm seeing here <laughs> um but the show the show worked for me beyond its plot because as you noted it is exceptionally cast uh it was amazing to hear uh, Jesse Mueller, in particular, used this more operatic side of her voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, because typically, I think the two shows I've seen her in before, uh, Beautiful, the Carol King musical, and Waitress, uh, don't use that part of her voice at all. And here, it was like, whoa, listen to that. Uh, and I do love some good choreography, and the Justin Peck choreography was off the charts. Amazing. Uh, it's, and he, he got his well-deserved Tony for mm-hmm. that choreography as well. So, yeah, I, I loved our theater trip. I did, too. Uh, it was good, and I like that we had sub-themes. Uh, carousel, <laughs> no gay, no nudity, all revival, <laughs> and two acts. Yes. So we capped it with two acts. Um, moving on to a little bit of TV that we've seen recently. Uh, Man in an Orange Shirt. Uh, which was part of Masterpiece airings on PPS over June. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this amazing uh, movie. Um, it was essentially a short series. It's two one-hour episodes. Uh, the first hour is about uh, Tom, Michael and Thomas. Uh, they meet during the Great War, uh, World War II, and um, they fall in love, uh, and eventually they go home to England, uh, and they have a brief affair when they first return, but Michael eventually decides to um, get married, uh, and he marries a girl named Flora. And that first hour is sort of about their relationship, uh, how Michael starts building a respectable, quote-unquote, life with Flora, uh, while still pining for Thomas. And it's really about Michael realizing that the person he's genuinely in love with uh, is the the man he met uh, in Europe. Um, Thomas uh, ends up becoming a rather respected painter. Uh, Michael is a respectable banker. Um, and at the... Um, and at the end of the hour... We see that they've, through circumstances, chosen not to be together. Uh, As the second hour begins, we jump forward in time uh, and we see Adam, who is Michael's grandson, and sort of uh, what his modern, how, how his modern Gay life sort of mirrors his grandfather's. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam is a uh, a vet, and he sort of works with animals during the day, and then goes out and tricks with various guys at night. Uh, and though he he is also in his own way struggling with being his true, authentic self, just the way his grandfather did. Uh, now, Adam lives with his grandmother, uh, Flora, and Flora uh, gifts him with the family cottage. It's been uh, essentially abandoned, and it's incredibly run down, and she gives it to him and says, you do with it what you want. He goes and visits 
and takes uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the word a friend who uh, is a um, not quite an architect. I thought maybe he was an interior designer. Never fully discussed. He, he's like architect like. Anyway, he takes his <laughs> he takes his friend Steve with him uh, to go to this tiny little place out in the countryside uh, and see what they can do with this tiny little cottage. Uh, and it's there that Adam sort of realizes that Stephen may, you know, offer him the life that he has always wanted. Uh, and it's about how the how Michael's and Adam's journey kind of mirror one another and how uh, at the end of the series they sort of um, come full circle and we realize how truly connected Michael and Adam actually are over the generations. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought this was uh, both bittersweet but very hopeful and emotional uh, it's really exceptional production. I enjoyed it an awful, awful lot. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was, especially the first hour was heartbreaking uh, as you realized kind of the, what was reality in late 1940s England. Uh, it really was the reality through much through into the sixties, even, um, the entire th- and then to move into the to the modern era to see Adam struggling in the same way, uh, being his authentic self because he wasn't out to a lot of people, including his grandmother, who uh, was wonderfully played in the in the more modern uh, hour by Vanessa Redgrave. Um, this was a really good piece. Uh, I'm glad we picked it up. We'll link in the show notes to some places where you can rent it or stream it or possibly still pick it up on PBS.com. Man in an Orange Shirt, the title of the show, actually refers to uh, a painting that Thomas does uh, of Michael. And that painting actually ends up uh, bridging the <laughs> generations. And it plays a big part in uh, Adam's like self-actualization. Uh, like I said, it's a tremendous show. I highly recommend everyone check it out. It is actually... Uh, currently available on DVD and Blu-ray as well. Oh, so excellent. if you'd like to check it out that way, we highly recommend it. Fantastic. Now, you mentioned at the top of the show you didn't get much reading done in June, but you did do a little bit of reading right towards the end. Yes, this past week when we returned home from New York, I promptly got sick. Uh, so while I was sneezing and coughing on the couch, I also happened to read a little bit, uh, and I finished The Best Worst Honeymoon Ever by Andrew Gray. Uh, Which is... might be one of the best Dreamspun titles ever. <laughs> the the best worst Dreamspun title. Um, so Best Worst Honeymoon is about a guy named Tommy who is left at the altar. He realizes that the guy he's about to marry is a real big jerk. Uh, so... Tommy's best friend, Grayson, uh, decides to take him on the planned honeymoon. They go to this beautiful tropical island and uh, they hang out at the resort and try try to heal Tommy's broken soul. Um, Grayson brings along his nine-year-old son, Petey, and sort of um, the the three of them together uh, kind of heal and become a family. This is essentially a friends to lovers story because while they're on the island together, Tommy and Grayson finally 
after all these years, <laughs> realizes that they're, they're truly meant to be together. Um, their idyllic paradise is briefly interrupted when the ex uh, comes and tries to essentially extort some more money from Tommy. Uh, this guy's a total dick. Um, <laughs> but uh, what's nice is that Tommy uh, finally stands up for himself uh, and sends this bad guy away uh, so that he can finally uh, have a complete life with Grayson and Petey. And as we near the end of the story, uh, there is an unfortunate incident when they go snorkeling. Uh, Grayson is stung by a Portuguese man of war. Ouch! And while that normally wouldn't be a very big deal, Grayson has an allergic reaction that sends him to the hospital. So we've got some hurt comfort themes going on right there. Uh, and that's truly the moment where Tommy realizes, you know, he can't live with Gra- without Grayson and Petey in his life. And that's sort of the, the, the happy ending. He, of course, recovers. Sure. Uh, and they go back to the States and essentially live happily ever after. So I really, really enjoyed um, Best Worst Honeymoon Ever. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty wonderful uh, example of sort of friends to lovers uh, plot line. Uh, I really enjoyed it an awful, awful lot. Nice. I'll have to pick that one up next time I, I go after a dream spun to read. So you can check out the show notes to pick up any of the books or the DVDs that we just mentioned. And of course, we've also got links to all the Broadway shows we supported. Or, yeah, I guess we supported them because we went to see them. (laughs) Um, And of course, if you do uh, pick up anything through Amazon, you do help us out a little bit because we do use affiliate links. So that puts a a few pennies into the pocket of the podcast. Mm -hmm. What is that other way they could support the podcast? Well, you can always help support the show through Patreon. Um, for as little as 25 cents an episode, your pledge through Patreon helps pay for the cost of producing and distributing this very show. Now, if you go to Patreon and check out what we have on offer, uh, you can learn that fans who pledge at the silver and gold levels will have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of some of our upcoming guests. And also, all patrons have the option to have a personalized thank you sent directly to them. Uh, we also include uh, a few little goodies whenever we send a, a thank you. Absolutely. Now, any month that our pledges cover our monthly production costs, we'll produce a special bonus show, especially for our patrons. We did this not too long ago. Um, we started essentially a new segment. I think what we're going to do from now on is that once a month we're going to start taking a look at classics of gay cinema. Uh, this past June, as I mentioned, we took a look at Boys in the Band. Uh, hey, hey, patrons, if you're listening right now, is there a classic gay movie you want us to take a look at and sort of uh, explore? Yeah. yeah. Let's hear about it. Yeah. Leave so, us a comment. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to know more on how you can help support this show through Patreon, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So recently I had the chance to catch up with Brandilyn. As always, she's she's really become our audiobook. Uh, contributor here because she does love her audio so much. An aficionado. 
Indeed. Yes, she is. <laughs> she is the audiobook aficionado. Uh, and she's got a couple of great recommendations for us. I'm excited to welcome back Brandilyn to the podcast today. Welcome. Hello. It's been way too long since we talked about Rick Reardon. <laughs> yeah, that's true. As a matter of fact, he's had a new book out since we talked. The, the third one in the Trials of Apollo, which was awesome, of course, uh, came out beginning of May. So, anyway. But that's not what I'm talking about today. <laughs> well, you, you said it was awesome, so you got your little plug in that that was a good book. <laughs> this is true. Unfortunately, I have to wait a year for the next one, because he does one book a year, basically. So... But, All right. Well, your anticipation can build between here and there. Yeah, something like that. So you got okay, two so audios to talk to us about. I do. I have two audios. They both came out within the last week or two. One of uh, one of them is called North on Drummond by Casey Byrne. And uh, Casey, is she's a Dream Spinner author, but this book is actually one that was originally with Lucid. And she just got the rights back since, you know, Lucid died. And she um, brought it out, obviously, in ebook, but also in audio. And I actually won the paper copy of it when I was at RT. So when I saw it in audio, I, I decided to pick it up. And it's a new-to-me um, narrator, Darcy Stark. It's... Basically, um, it's a paranormal, but it's it's mostly a contemporary with some paranormal elements. Um, one of the characters is a psychic. Um, he doesn't start out that way. He starts out as a tarot card reader, but a head injury um, brings about some psychic visions. And, of course, the other love interest is not a believer we will say so that's where most of the conflict comes but there's uh so, some other you know some exes and some unsupportive not unsupportive uneducated family um they're supportive they just don't know how to be supportive um so in a little bit of a mystery um it's good i won't say it's a light read but it's not terribly terribly angsty and uh, the narrator did a, an admirable job. There were a couple of times that, because there's an alternating point of view, so you do have to kind of keep up with that because the narrator is not the most adept at differentiating for you. Mm -hmm. um, but it's the way Casey wrote it, it's pretty easy to tell who's talking um, and who's, whose point of view you're in. So yeah, it's just a little, uh, or it's not a little, it's about nine hours, but it's a, a good, you know, contemporary slash paranormal for those who don't want heavy paranormal, but don't want straight contemporary either. Um, and then the other book that I listened to um, a few days ago, it is called Blood, First, Blood from a Stoner. It's by L.A. Witt. And I wasn't sure what to think of it before I started it. Um, I generally enjoy um, L.A. Witt's stuff. It tends to be a little more filled with sex than I 
I always like to read, but it's also, it's, it's very, very much, um, she's very quality. She's very, um, adamant that her stuff is quality and it is. And this one is narrated by, uh, Nick J. Russo, who is one of my favorite narrators. Um, and it's, it's a short, I think it was about a four hour, um, uh, audio book and it's it's mostly just a fun little audiobook. It's a vampire and his the love interest slash feeding toy. Um, <laughs> feeding toy. <laughs> well, what you gonna say anyway? He's let's just say a little stone the first time that we we meet him and the first time he's fed off of. And since, you know, they live in Seattle, so it's all legal. And um, so it's just, it's a little bit of, of fun. You, you, you get a high vampire, but it's not all, you know, the, the weed. It, there's other things and there's love involved and, and stuff, but it's, it's, it's a very, it's very lighthearted. It, it doesn't take itself seriously. It's a good, um, what I call palate cleanser. You know, you just read something really serious. It's it's a good one for that. And as always, Nick does a fabulous job. So those are the, the my two latest uh, audiobooks. Fantastic! I'm very I'm very curious about Blood from a Stoner because I just yeah, Stone you know, Vampire just sounds very interesting to me. <laughs> I, I talked with uh, La Wit about it at RT, and it, honestly, it's not one I would have thought to pick up. Um, but she, she was, she talked about it cause it, it came out while we were at RT or right before, right after we got back from RT and I'm like, okay, because, you know, like I said, it's, it's a short little one, um, short being, you know, four hours, but, um, it was fun. It's, it's lighthearted. It doesn't take itself seriously. And, oh, come on. You have a high vampire. How else are you going to get a high vampire, but a high, you know, meal? So, exactly. um, and like I said, it's all Seattle, so it's all legal. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing a couple of great picks for us. We'll link up to all those things in the show notes so people can give them a go give them a listen. As always, it is wonderful to have Brandolin on the show. Thank you for stopping by, Brandolin. Yeah, look forward to seeing you again really soon. I think that'll do it for this week's episode. We've certainly done a lot of talking. We did. <laughs> I had lots to say. All kinds of good theater stuff going on. <laughs> so coming up next week in episode 144, as we mentioned earlier, Jennifer from Coastal Magic will be here. And she'll talk about the 2019 convention, uh, plus why you should register for it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing all of that. And so looking forward to going this time, finally. Oh, uh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. So guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. So until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 